This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in finally Genesis chapter 30. We made it through chapter 29. We're in chapter 30, and we're going to be studying what I'm going to dub as the baby arms race. And if you remember from yesterday, the the last Bible study we had, Rachel has not had any children and her sister Leah, who is the despised one, has had children, and she's named every one of her children. She's named every one of them after her struggle with her husband, her struggle with, with Jacob. And the reason she's struggling with Jacob is because he didn't love her. He's not treating her with the respect, and she, he's not treating with her with the love and affection that she deserves. And it's causing a problem for her. And let me say this, it's causing a problem, period. And this is an important principle in scripture. When you fail to do what you should do, that is just as much as sin is not is doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And uh, that's a sin of omission rather than a sin of commission. And remember, everything that's sin is outside the will of God. In fact, in fact, the best way for me to describe it, I, I describe it in a philosophical way, it's not God. It's not God's presence. And when you're dealing with sin, you're dealing with what is not God. And obviously, not doing the will and the way of God is sin also. Even if you're not actively doing anything, if you're just sitting there doing nothing, that can be doing what God would not do. That is sin. That is not acting as God would act. Because remember, we God is the God that is a player on the scene of the universe. He's not just a He's not just a static God who spun the universe into existence, and then now he's just sitting there watching and enjoying the, uh, enjoying the story. And the story we have here is a really a soap story. It's a, it's, ta- it's a tale from the ages past. It's one of, those, one of those stories where we see for sure, no doubt about it, two women who are ultimately scorned. And the reason they're scorned is not because of their relationship with each other. It's because of their relationship with Jacob and Jacob's lack of understanding of the importance of being right and doing right by each one of these women. And doing right by them just means to love, have love, care, and concern for them in his relationship with them and not to pit them against each other and to to work to be conciliatory and loving toward each other. And, and trust me, in any situation, the people in the situation are going to follow the leader, and Jacob is the leader in this situation. And if you have a church that has has a pastor that wants to sow division, that church is going to have a sow division. If you've got a company with a boss that wants to always deal in conflict, well, there's going to be conflict in that company. If you have a military unit and the officer is in charge, is obtuse or doesn't understand 
people, then the people in the company are going to act out in ways or in the unit. I'm calling it a company because I'm an army man, but the unit, the guys in the unit are going to try to figure out a way to function that is in their best interest. And oftentimes that's going to be against the best interest of the company. Leadership, leadership requires that you learn how people think, you learn how people operate, and then you bring about the best in them by you modeling the correct way to do things. And that is, that's just a leadership 101 lesson. That's what you do. And so if you've got it, like on the contrary, if you've got a pastor who is loving and who receives all people and who is welcoming in every way, the church will tend to tend toward that. And if you've got a, co- a company president who's working for efficiency and he's trying to make sure everybody is is able to do their job at their very best level, and that means he's, pre- he's creating an environment where people feel like they're valued and where they pe- feel like what they're doing makes a difference, and all those things, when that happens, all of a sudden, the company starts uh, prospering. Everything prospers, and the family works the same way. You have two people in charge of the family, the husband and the wife. The husband is the titular head of the family because Bible clearly teaches that, but the wife joins in together with him and they're and they're working together for the best of the family. And when that happens and the character and the nature of God is modeled out in that relationship and then modeled out with the relationship with the children and then also modeled out with the relationships with other people outside of the a nuclear family, maybe grandparents, maybe grandchildren, maybe aunts and uncles, cousins, when those things are modeled out outwardly throughout the family, then what happens is that the people in the family usually excel in all that they do. But if you don't do that, if you don't model that out, what happens is you sow discord, you sow envy, you sow strife, you sow trouble, and that trouble is always going to eventually come back and bite you. You, if you bite others, eventually they're gonna. Eventually they're gonna get tired of getting bit, and they're gonna turn around and bite you. That's a very southern way of saying it, but that's the truth. It's just the way it, you can't expect to keep biting and not get bit. And he said, verse one of chapter thirty says, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. Now that was going to be something that naturally happened. There's going to be an element of envy, but if there's love and affection and caring between members of the family, this would not have been as big an issue. This would not have been an issue where there was a competition. And so many times parents think they need to sow competition between their children. I'm going to say this, you do not need to sow competition between your children, between cousins, between aunts and uncles, between friends, sowing uh, competition. Now, there's nothing wrong with competing and learning how to hone each other's skills and make each other better, but competition as far as life itself is going to eventually bring about, it's going to be bring about strife. My my upbringing was intensely competitive in every possible way, grades, school, relationships, athletics, every possible way. It was highly competitive. And I believe in competition in order to make a person better, in order to push a person to, to become all that they can be. That being said, relational competition 
can be very destructive because a relational competition is based on the idea that there is only a finite amount of love and affection that can be had, and that's not true because God is loving and infinitely affection. Now, if I'm competing for a championship, then there's only one person that can win the championship, and that's just and as, as the immortal philosopher Ricky Bobby, if you ain't winning, you're losing, and that that is true of competition for championships. But remember, we're not talking about competition for championships in the context of relationships, and especially in the context of we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is love and affection and nourishing and growing and pushing each other toward excellence and the very, very best. And when that results in competition, what that means is that I receive a certain amount of love if I excel and I receive a certain amount of discord and disdain and ostracizing if I, if I fail. Well, that's not biblical. God has great love and great affection for all. His love is infinite. His love is powerful. His love is life-changing. And so if you're sowing that kind of discord in your family by creating competition for love and affection, you are doing definitely not God. There's no doubt about that. And he said, and Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And she said, miss the end of verse one, he says, give me children or else I die. That's what she said to him. She said, I got to have some children. I'm losing. And she was. She really was. If you're going to have it be a competition, she was losing. She was down 4-0. And in soccer, that's a that's a un, you can't just can't come back from that. Easy for me to say. If you're in baseball, maybe. If you're in football, all you got to do is score a touchdown. But 4-0 was pretty rough for when you can only score one at a time in a competition. But this is not a competition. Obviously, Jacob has made it a competition. He's made it a competition for affection because he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, and Leah, the only thing Leah could do to be wanted or desired or somebody of any importance was to have children, and she is out having children, Rachel. she That's what she's doing, and that is, that. I'm just telling you, it is deadly, and Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. She's turned around and bit him, and he don't like it, and it makes him angry. You know what? Sometimes anger shows me when some, something's wrong or unjust, and sometimes anger shows me when I'm wrong and I'm unjust. And you need to understand that. Just because you have anger in your heart doesn't mean that you're angry at the right thing and that your anger is focused in the right direction. Sometimes I'm angry because I messed up. Sometimes I'm angry because I put myself in this position. Sometimes I'm angry because what's going on around me is the result of the actions of my hand and who I am. And you know what? That's your fault. That's on you. That's how it works. And a mature person, a person who is walking in their faith, a person who is growing and maturing and being led by the Spirit, will realize that. You're angry, and the reason you're angry is because you did it. You put yourself in that position. That's the same conversation that God, the Lord God, had with Cain in the garden, outside the garden, after the fall with Cain and Abel. He said, if you do right, wouldn't you be accepted? Notice, if you do right, won't you be accepted? If you do right, won't you reap the reward of godliness? And the answer is, yes, you will. Now, you may not reap it right now, but remember, sometimes we sow that seed and get a harvest that we couldn't imagine later. And don't expect that you're always going to reap the harvest of your right works in the moment. Sometimes God is saying, I'm not going to give it right now because I'm going to put it in the ground and I'm going to make it 10, 20, 40, 100 fold. I'm going to make it greater than you could ever imagine, and you're going to get it down the road 
You just keep working and doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so it says, and Jacob's anger was roused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? The truth is maybe. And the answer to that question is maybe actions have consequences. We do not live in a world that's unconsequential. We live in a world where literally the laws of the universe dictate that. One of the primary laws of the universe is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That is an understanding that goes all the way back into scripture. It's a understanding that's found throughout scripture. It's found in the history. It's found in the prophets. It's found in the poetry. It's found in the gospels. It's found in the epistles. And that is, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That which a man sows, so shall he also reap. You are going to sow, you're going to reap what you sow, and he is reaping right now what he sowed, and you say, is her womb closed because of that? Maybe. What I try to do is do right and let God be in control, but therefore I can't be angry at myself, and I can at least be someone who can help and change and make a difference in other people's lives when they're dealing with struggles and difficulties, and they're dealing with problems in their life. And so he said, is my maid, so she said, so what does she do? He says, I didn't do this. This is your problem. So she comes up with a solution to the problem. And as we slowly go round and round the drain here, as we slowly recede into Gomorrah, as we slowly inch toward Gomorrah, we're fixing to cause all kinds of problems. And I'm just talking about the relationship. Now, the children, when children are born, they're not a problem, okay? And that's an important principle to always get. So many times we say, these are unwanted children. They're wanted. And I'm going to tell you they're wanted because God wants them. God, God allowed them to come into being, and he wants them. He loves everybody, and he loves everyone. And so there's no unwanted person. I want you to hear me today. There's people who don't understand God's principles and his love, and they don't operate in that. And so there are people who feel unwanted, and there are people who nobody acts like they want them. But I can promise you this, God does want them, and God does desire them. So any child born is someone who God loves. For God so loved the world, and the reason he uses the word world there is he doesn't want us to parse that out in, in any way in that for in that John 3.16. I rarely quote it because it's so well known. I think it just comes natural for Christians, but I think sometimes I need to probably bring it up a lot. For God so loved the world, that word for world in the Greek is cosmo. It's the word for the cosmos. He, he so loved his creation, everything in his creation. And so we can't parse that out and say that he loves some people and he don't love other people and he hates this. And that. We're not parsing that out. God so loved the world and he gave his only begotten son. Everyone, everyone is due a debt of love. And in fact, that's the only debt that God really wants us to have is the debt of love. He said, I am in the place. He said, so he said, here, so she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear you a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Notice she's sending in a surrogate to have children for herself. And if you remember, Laban gave not only his daughter, but he gave one of his maids or handmaids to Jacob as a part of the dowry, as a part of the giving of his, of his daughter, someone to help take care of the household. Rachel is in a position where she doesn't feel like she's meeting the standard and the division has been sown. And so she's sending, she's sending in her maid and that maid is, and so she gave him Bilhah, her maid as wife. And Jacob went into her. Notice she's his wife. What she, she's his concubine in the biblical sense. And people don't understand concubine is the word for second wife. 
It means not the primary wife, it means the second wife. And that it does have a derogatory or pejorative meaning to it. And the reason it does is because the truth is that marriage is best between one man and one woman. In fact, it's really prescription, biblically speaking, is that is the way that God does. And it's pictured out in Jesus being the groom and the church being the bride. And so there's a singular groom and a singular bride, and he is the bridegroom and the whole church as one is the is the bride. And wives is not a biblical principle. It's not something that it usually ever works out well, and it doesn't work out well here. He says, then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, his wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah and conceived and bore Jacob a son. And uh, that, that boy, that now we've got not only two women, but we've got three women who are in the midst of deceit and discord. And uh, therefore, she gave him, he also heard my voice. Rachel said, God has judged my case. And he's also heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore, she called her son Dan, which means judge. And Rachel made, so we've got now five children, and each one of them is named after some element of the discord of the family. That, that just ain't good. It ain't right. It's just not right. It's just, that's what we say in the South when something's not good. We say, it ain't right. And it ain't right. All the children are named after this struggle that Jacob has created between himself, Rachel, and Leah. It says in Rachel's handmaid, Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then, then Rachel said, with great wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. Notice, it's competition. There's the competition. So she called his name Naphtali, which means to wrestle. So we got Judge and Russell. <laughs> I told you this is the battle of the babies. And uh, that's what's going on here. And it, it is getting ugly, ugly. So what are we going to do? When Leah figures that out, she says, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, a fourth woman. Whew. I'm getting tired, aren't you? He, he made and gave her to Jacob, his wife. And Leah's made Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, a troop has come. And so she called the name, his name, she called his name Gad or troop or fortune. Again, we've got the seventh child and they're being named after the struggle between family members, between specifically the wives of Jacob, because he has sown this struggle in his family. And it said, and Leah's made Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher, which means happy. That's rubbing in her face, isn't it? So we're, I guess the numbers are six to two, or you can make it at four, two, two, zero. I don't even know how we're keeping score now. And you know what? Whenever you got problem keeping score, that always sows division. Am I right? Whew. Six to two or four, two, two, zero. How, how do you even get there? How do you even get there? The way you get there is that you do not pay the debt that you owe. And the debt that you owe to everyone, and it's a unique and special debt for each one person. You have responsibilities that are different for everybody. But the one debt you owe to each other is the debt of love, agape love, God's love. 
And when you do not pay your debts, when you do not pay the bill, the bill comes due and the debt collector comes in and the debt collector always causes problems and division and sows discord in every family when that happens. And so I would say to you today, make every effort to pay your bills, pay your debt. And that debt is to love everyone around you in the position and the place and the relationship you have with them. Give them the love and respect and concern and care that you would give anybody and allow, allow God to bring about the harvest of righteousness that will come from it. I pray that'll be the case for you today. And uh, I expect that it will be because you're going to be out there paying that debt of love because the spirit is going to urge you toward it. And as you do, you are going to, you're going to sow a harvest of righteousness and hope and grace. And it's a living hope and it's alive for you. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.